Hello and happy fall. Welcome to King of the Ride podcast. I am Ted King, and on our show today is special guest Laura King, my wife. This is episode number 65, recorded in early September 2020. The summer, as you may be aware, was largely a reprieve from podcasting as Laura and I saddled up with Hazel and van lifed it across the country, back and forth, east to west to east once again, amid a funky year with COVID. So now backtrack 10 episodes to show number 55, and you can hear the precursor to this particular episode. Number 55 came to life and into this world on March 2nd. Our daughter Hazel came into the life and into this world on March 8th. Therefore, now fast forward to the present. This episode is all about how parenthood has treated the two or three of us. How parenthood and traveling a huge chunk of the summer in a four-wheeled vehicle with a four-turned-five, then-turned-six-month-old has treated us. It has been a wild and wonderful ride. I think this is going to be a show that you are really going to enjoy, so stay tuned. Hey, what is the longest distance that you think I can ride all in one go? I routinely can do 100 miles a century. I've done a few double centuries, the 200 on 100 and 200 not on 100s. You might remember I did a single 310-mile ride this summer, the length of Vermont, entirely on gravel roads, and that nearly destroyed me. But for the sake of a great cause, let's see just how far I can ride. Ladies and gentlemen, this October, and just days away, is the 10th anniversary of the King Challenge. Given the effects of COVID, we have decided to go virtual, as are all reasonable events this calendar year. So if you think of regular events, gravel events, cycling events, the things that I'd be typically doing this summer, it is a gosh darn shame that they are off the calendar. It is sad. Those events do represent countless hours, literally just a little bit of blood, sweat, and tears for the sake of a great event. I see it firsthand as Laura and I put on our event. But now let's take a big old lateral step and think about how hard-hitting it is for a fundraising event to be wiped off the calendar. That's why we went and created the virtual event with the King Challenge, as this is the biggest single fundraiser for the Kremple Center all year long. The Kremple Center is an organization benefiting adults with brain injury, of which my dad is a member after he suffered a stroke in 2003. Now look, there is no dancing around it. Brain injuries are awful. My dad is a different person before and after his stroke. It is heart-wrenching for me every single time that I see him remembering the man that he once was. But, but the Kremple Center is a huge ray of sunshine. It is the positivity that he needs each and every week. It is positivity for him and every member of this brain-injured community. Additionally, it is something of a lifesaver for caregivers like my mother. So please, if you're feeling up for it, follow the link in my profile to see how you can help support my ride. Donate to my ride. And that's perhaps the single simplest and best and quite frankly how my initial plea of riding a super long distance makes sense. I am going to ride one mile for every $100 that I personally raise. I often raise $10,000 every year for the King Challenge. This is a plateau that I rarely get over, so that makes for a dainty 100-mile ride. But I know with a little bit more oomph 
with a little bit more work, we can crush that goal, sending me on a 300, 500, heck, 1,000-mile bike ride, all for a terrific cause. Why the heck not? You can sign up and do some fundraising yourself. That is going to be at kingchallenge.org, at which point you're going to be eligible for all sorts of great fundraising incentives, like a super, super cool jersey by Velocio, among other things. Or head to DIYGravel.com and buy some DIY gravel wares, of which all the profits are going to the Krempel Center. There you have it. Enough of my yammering. You are here for Laura. Ladies and gentlemen, next up, Laura Cameron King. Um, so the last time we chatted with a microphone in our respective hands, it was either late February or early March. And if I'm not mistaken, you became a mother in early March. Is that right? I did. Wow. You became a father. Oh, far out. (laughs) Probably on about the same day. So, um, let's, let's get caught up to speed. We had a daughter. Hazel Grace King, born March 8th, 2020 in Burlington, Vermont, and she is the light of our lives, 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 lives. Um, how's, uh, how's, how's motherhood treating you? Um, it's, it has exceeded my expectations in every way. It's just awesome, wonderful, and has brought just so much joy. What do you suppose... Take a step back. Give me a benchmark. What do you suppose your your expectations were? Because you are a a person who loves your family dearly. You have three sisters. You are close with your parents, even though we live on the other side of the country. You're a family person. I think you you knew. I mean, one of our early conversations when we started dating is I was asking you, did you want to have a family? Do you want to get married? Yada, yada, yada. And subsequently, we got married and had a kid. You wanted to be a mother. So your expectations were probably decently high in the first place, correct? Correct. So give me your benchmark. Where you, like, how have they exceeded your expectations? I always knew I wanted to be a mother. That said, I think it's easy to kind of to listen to, I don't know, the, the negatives out there of that we talked about a little bit on the last podcast, just of... You know the comments that people say in passing, like "Enjoy your riding now." Um, you're not you're not going to do much of that once you have a child, and um, I don't know. I guess all those things get in your head, and it's easy to start to get worried about what will my life look like? Will we still enjoy the same things that we enjoy? Will I think there's a fear of the unknown, and now that I'm past a lot of those fears, I realize that, you know, it looks different for everyone, but um, for us, we, our life is only more full, I think, and we still, the things that we like to do, the passions that we have, the type of life that we want to live, we are still living, and um, that's helped me to relax and also just really like soak it all in. I mean, I think we're also blessed with a very easy, easy baby who's good, 
spirited and just so happy all the time. And I'm very thankful for that. And I know that, you know, that you, you can't always control, um, the type of baby that you have and the, the, you can never control it. You can, yeah, you never can. And the challenges that you might face. So we're grateful for her health and her disposition. And those things have made probably some, some child rearing thus far easier. Uh Um, but she's just a little ball of joy. Accurate. So, so the spring rolls around and we see uh, the snow melt and mud season arrive to Vermont. And, and we have no idea what's around the corner. <laughs> well, correct. But I mean, well, the question here is how... How did your, you know, you're known for being an athletic person. So how did the, how did the segue back, back into athleticism, uh, how did that work out? Because our dear listeners know that you certainly like to uh, exercise. <laughs> I do like to exercise. I'm not known for my patience. So I will be honest and say that. <laughs> Accurate. <laughs> <laughs> um, that said, I... I had no idea how quickly I would be able to get back on the bike. I will say I feel like I had the best case scenario in that I recovered relatively quickly, um, had a natural childbirth, and I mean, six days later, I, I did not have ambitions of getting on the bike that early, but I was feeling pretty good and walked into our gym one day and thought, I'm just going to sit on my saddle and see if, see how I feel. And one hour later, I was like sweating and full of elation because I didn't expect to be able to ride that quickly. And it just feels so good to return to doing what you love to do. I love to get my endorphin rush. And I think coupled with the joy of like, your life is now more full. You have this amazing child and you're still getting to do what you love to do. I think I almost, there's almost nothing better than that. I was, um, I was excited to be feeling good and kind of having that compliment, like my life and that you still have, there's, it's a, you still feel like you are your own person and you're, um, having that little bit of normalcy amidst, a couple challenging first few weeks and maybe even month. I mean, it's, it's a lot. So, uh, Instagram shows things great. And, and, you know, overall, I think the, the barometric reading on our lives is that things are good. Um, but not everything is the Instagram filter. So like you said, the first few weeks, first few months, months, whatever it was, like what were the particular challenges? What, what was not easy? What was unexpected? What was unforeseen? Um, in, in not yeah, a there, way. you remember there are definitely moments where I broke down in tears. I think um, sleep deprivation is very, it's real and it's quick to disorient everything. Um, and for me, it's probably like the trigger to me being unstable. I, if there's anything in life I dislike, it is being sleep deprived and my schedule being thrown off. So right there you have a child thrown into the mix and you, (laughs) everything is, uh, is disoriented. Um, 
So I would say the first couple of weeks of just trying to figure out everything, how, what you're, you know, how to take care of your child and how to feed her and how to figure out a schedule and everything's new. Everything's a little overwhelming. Um, we figured it all out or we didn't figure it all out. We <laughs> found our way through that first couple of weeks and felt like we were beginning to see, get the hang of whatever that routine is. And then it very quickly again changes and you have to get a, you have to again, like readjust. Um, so yeah, I guess I would say there are moments of feeling overwhelmed. Um, I relied a lot on good friends and my sister who has three children and would frequently text her at all hours and ask her advice and, Hey, have you gone through this? What was, you know, what worked for you? And my sister and I became pretty close throughout that time because she just, um, she always had the right thing to say and a word of wisdom to get me through that next hour or the next few hours. And, um, I will say that when I was able to get enough sleep to do some sort of outdoor activity the next or the following day, um, that would also help with just my general well-being. Demeanor. Demeanor. Happiness quotient. <laughs> yeah. Uh, naturally, right? You you seek your endorphins outdoors. Um, so. But amidst all of this, we're suddenly, you know, a few days into new parenthood and the world is locking down. Shaw. That was exactly my next question. So, so a very unforeseen um, unfolding was COVID in early March. And Hazel was born on March 8th. I think we basically say by about March 10th up in our neck of the woods in Vermont, the world locked down. So, you know, we've, we've in conversation, we talk about if you're going to meet a new norm under COVID, why not have it as a new norm as first-time parents, which has been a tremendous blessing. Um, how about, how did that affect, how did that affect your life bigger picture? Um, I mean, uh, specifics, were you expecting to do particular cycling events? Were you expecting to do any particular travel that you're excited about? What, how has COVID Overall, it has impacted us in a positive way because we've obviously had a lot of time with family at home, locked down with Hazel, and that's been tremendous. What are what are the negatives of COVID for you? Um, well, just to address first what my expectations were after having Hazel, I mean, we knew we knew that any we didn't we knew that we didn't really know a lot and we had not been parents yet so we didn't know exactly what to expect but um i think what was the best we could do was to just set a calendar and say here's what we hope we are able to do um you know you had thoughts of maybe going out to race Mid-South a few days after her birth. <laughs> With your thorough endorsement and recommendation. Correct. I, I was hoping, you know, it was important to me before having her that we continued to to continue our life. And, um, you know, even my mom laughed at me a little bit thinking, uh, I know she's she mentioned to me that she she would hear me say, well, we're going to continue our travel. We're going to continue all the things that we're doing and would say, okay, Laura. And then 
you know, off to the side, really thought, good luck with that. Um, but you know, I, we were planning to go to California a couple of months later for a month to do some work there and had, uh, some family coming down and thought we had some sort of organization to how we were going to continue our event schedule and hopping around from place to place. It, it was going to be complicated and, um, challenging. We knew that, but we were up for trying that said, yeah, everything quickly changed and everything was wiped off the calendar. And I have to say that although there were many things I was looking forward to, um, you ask about events. I didn't have, you know, I had, I had a few on the calendar that I thought, Hey, it would be cool. Like Rasputitsa was, um, six weeks after Hazel was born. And I thought it would be cool to be able to, in our backyard, go and participate in that event if I was feeling up for it. Um, but I hadn't, you know, I hadn't committed to anything. I didn't, it wasn't going to be the end of the world if I, if I wasn't able to do that. Um, and I think we both really enjoyed the fact that our calendars were wiped clean and we just, um, had time at home and we cooked a lot of good food and enjoyed being with Hazel every day and finding a routine. And, um, I'm actually... I'm really thankful for how it all worked out. How about you? Yeah, I mean, we... Overall, we've been affected positively because there is a forced time at home. And we both work independently, so... um, It is... You know, I miss the camaraderie of going to the untapped office and I miss working face-to-face with those guys, but they are nothing if not familial. And, and you know, we had the full carte blanche to take as much time off as, as could be expected. And, and by time off, you know, I'm still working behind a computer screen and, and today is a Saturday and we're working this morning. Like you work as independent contractors, you work 365 days a year, just at completely odd hours. Um, so I think it really allowed us to have some time to think creatively. I really enjoyed that aspect. I know, um, I mean, Hazel still slept half of the day, right? So there were a lot of times where we were sitting around just kind of scheming ideas and that's where you thought up DIY gravel and that's where I started the DIY summer webinar series and and got that organized for mm-hmm. the, the summer and um, wrote some blogs and I don't know, we were just able to kind of Oh, we, where can we find those blogs? <laughs> you can find them on uh, ProKit, which is a new community for athletes. You have definitely enjoyed your time on ProKit. Yes. Please extrapolate upon ProKit. Uh, so my friend Dave Swain uh, formerly worked with Facebook and Instagram. Guest and on King of the Ride podcast. Yes. Uh, early on, shoot, look back in the... Oh, teens or 20s? Yeah. Dave Swain, great guest on the podcast. Carry on. He has co-founded this platform community for athletes. It's kind of like, I would describe it like LinkedIn for athletes or, you know, you have Nextdoor for your neighborhood. You have Spotify for your music. Where, you know, where is the resource you go to as an athlete for um, expert information and 
um, also just to the ability to create a profile and, you know, list the events that you're going to list your PRs. Um, it's kind of also like Squarespace. So you can, it's a great platform for, to, to write content. And if that content is strong and popular, it will kind of be elevated similar to how Instagram started. So I started utilizing that. I actually, um, have began some work to help do, do what I can to help build that platform. It's been really fun to kind of collaborate with, um, Dave and Angela in that way. And I think they're onto something really, really cool. Um, but yeah, I've, that's where I've started writing about my experience with pregnancy and athletics and motherhood and, um, postpartum. And so that, yeah, that's how I spent a little bit of the first couple months post Hazel. And then, I don't know, we started getting a little antsy and we started riding our bikes a lot. (laughs) Well, yeah, I, I want, with your endorsement, I wanted to... I think with your screaming endorsement, I wanted to do well at Mid-South. And and all along, I know that I'm riding my bike and training as though it's basically flip a coin, 50-50, whether I would go. Um, It was first and foremost, have a healthy, happy birth. And from there, I mean, and shoot, you know, we didn't know you were going to be pregnant for another week or so after, after the event date. But I wanted to go into this season and do well and, and sort of show that parenthood is not any, in any way, uh, uh, a detriment or something to thwart fitness. So yeah, we were riding bikes a lot and we, we certainly continue to that said to go roundabout and we're going to get into this in a second. Like we are on the tail end of the summer and I think I've, I've certainly ridden my bike a lot over the past two months. Um, but I, it's, it's been as unstructured as ever and not that I really do much structured training, but it's like catch as catch can because we just wrapped up. Nope. I should say we are wrapping up a road trip, um, to our, our fair listeners who are, um, followers of the antics that we participate in. We've gone on a van, van life trip, coast to coast to coast. Um, and then to our, non-paying attention listeners. We have just wrapped up a van trip going coast to coast to coast. We are wrapping up a van trip. Uh, yeah. At what point does, does van life enter your realm of possibility? Well, you and I have talked about, I don't know, very casually in passing, you know, I guess van life is kind of a part of cycling culture and we have friends who have some pretty cool rigs who have, showed us their cool rigs and we probably had a a little moment of like, oh, wish we had wish we had a van like that. Maybe um, a quarter million dollars. <laughs> but I think also it was hard to ever see the practicality of that as we're constantly getting on airplanes and um jetting from one place to another and, you know, I actually have had very little time road tripping in my life. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> Which, um, right. That, that became a, a funny point. I've driven across the country. I've driven to Arizona from new England twice. I've driven to California at least once and back and back from Arizona and Colorado two or three or four times and to North Carolina two or three times. I've spent a considerable amount of time road tripping and you have spent, what's the furthest distance? You went to Colorado from California once, right? 
I went to, uh, yeah, something like that. I have, I don't, that's probably about the farthest. Which is like an afternoon. (laughs) (laughs) So so there's the, the romantic side of, romanticized side of, uh, van life and road tripping. And that's eating beef jerky and drinking soda and just loving life. And then there's the reality of it, which is eating beef jerky and drinking soda for, for days and weeks on end. Um, yeah, there are there are extraordinarily boring parts and there's extraordinarily great parts. And I was I was excited as I was anxious about partaking in this thing because partaking in this sense meant we looked into rentals, we looked into purchasing, um, neither of which made sense. And then very I would call it happenstance. I mean, in a very good coincidence, a friend of a friend caught wind that we were in the market. And at that point they decided that they were going to sell theirs. So letting the cat out of the bag, we bought a 2014 Mercedes Sprinter van, diesel, rear wheel drive, uh, 85,000 miles at the time we purchased it, 87,000 at the time we purchased it. And, and that put it right there smack in our price range. Um, and this, might be obvious if you followed us, but the whole purpose, I mean, as we kind of got to back up a minute and say, you know, as the months went on, I was really, we were both really optimistic that this whole COVID thing, you know, was surely going to be over by summer and normalcy was going to resume. And I think we all thought that early spring, but <laughs> it's not like we were naive with our heads in the, in the Yeah, sun. correct. And as the months went on, it became apparent that that was not the case. And I grew especially increasingly um, impatient and a little just concerned about my family meeting our firstborn child. And my mom was, you know, really struggling, not meeting her grandchild. And all of my family is concentrated in the Seattle area. So it really, it just was making more and more sense that if we could just get ourselves to Seattle I could see we catch up with all of our family. They could all meet Hazel. And to do that, a van purchase was making more and more sense. Um, Not to mention that I I think we very quickly jumped from, hey, let's go visit Seattle to let's make this a really big adventure. We're driving all the way across the country so we can do all kinds of things and catch up with all of our friends and ride our bikes in all these different places. Which was a... Uh, that was a question early on from my brother who is my, my whole family likes to pay attention to where we are on our, we enjoy maps in the King family. So when they see that we're going to Seattle, they like to keep a prize thanks to apps like find my friends. Point being, Robbie sees that we're playing around in places like South Dakota, Montana, uh, Idaho, which are certainly states that you're likely going to drive through on your way to Seattle. But his question was like, aren't you, aren't you beelining it to Seattle to get there as quickly as you can? And it was almost as though as soon as we got the van, there was a tremendous sense of relief, especially from you, knowing that we're going to get to Seattle. Let's embrace the trip in general. Enjoy the process, not purely a means to an end. Correct. Accurate. Very. So van trip ensues. Uh, I just said some of those stops. Um, here are the ways in which we have tallied 10,000 miles. Correct me where I, where I misspeak. Late in the afternoon on whichever day we left, I want to say it was Tuesday, the 22nd day of July. <laughs> um, I think we acquired the van and brought it back to Vermont on Monday. 
the 21st. A day and a half later, it is finally cleared to drive, uh, get the paperwork sorted, we get the van packed, and then we put the house on Airbnb, which we'll get to in a second. We hit the road late in the afternoon. It's like, all right, you know, let's do this. We got van life. We leave on a Wednesday. We drive to Syracuse, New York, and then to Chicago, and then to Madison, Wisconsin. I think then, we have to stop in Syracuse, though. Well, yeah, we'll get to all these things. Okay. I'm just, I'm purely painting the picture of the map. Yep. To Madison, Wisconsin, to Spearfish, South Dakota, to Whitefish, Montana, mm-hmm. to Ketchum, Sun Valley, Idaho, to Seattle, Washington, to Hood River, Oregon, to the Cascade Lakes region of uh, Oregon, to, do we zip all the way down to the Bay Area? Yep. Larkspur-ish, Marin, San Francisco Bay Area, California, to Flagstaff, Arizona, that was a big stretch, mm-hmm. massive stretch, to Durango, Colorado, to Aspen, Colorado, to Boulder, Colorado, to uh, Emporia. Emporia, Kansas, to Terre Haute, Indiana, to a town in Pennsylvania that we don't totally remember the name of. I think it was Logansville. We stopped in St. Louis. Briefly in St. Louis. And now to coastal Maine, Booth Bay Harbor region of Maine. Uh, actually, with, with an hour backtrack, uh, end up in Portland, Maine. So, as you said, Syracuse. Did you enjoy Syracuse? That was our first stop. <laughs> well, I just want to point out that the first day or the first, I don't know, five hours of van life, I was already ready to turn the van around and... Uh, abort <laughs> abort the trip we had, I felt like we had made a terrible mistake and I hated van life <laughs> oh captain my captain I'll follow you anywhere uh yeah uh extrapolate upon that why well, did you not like it we didn't our first our first mistake was not having a great plan we had all these apps that we had full trust and faith in that would help us to find a place to park our van um but no experience mm-hmm. having used them and realizing at the nth hour when you're looking to park your van, well, it's a little late. You should have maybe made a plan in the beginning and had more time to do your research. So this goes back to uh, men are from Mars and women are from Venus, apparently. Um, this is a very good example of what I was just talking about, having having crisscrossed the country a dozen or so times. I'm of the opinion that you sort of, you make it up on the fly and you just go do it. And then on top of that, you have a van and like no plan whatsoever is necessary because worst case scenario, especially in the summer, you just pull over and sleep. Whereas while we are both type A, you are of the hyper planning nature. Actually, that's kind of funny because I would almost call myself the oh, more I will say this, dear King of the Ride listener, everything changes when you have a child. I don't, I don't disagree. And this is certainly <laughs> very accurate to our uh, parents of newborns listening, but I don't think it would be much different in this exact instance if we didn't have a child. I think you would also want to know where we were going to stay the second we leave. Yeah, that might be the case. You're right. There are compounding factors. So, Okay, so there we are. We leave Vermont. We drive a couple hours. We got a great stop in 
for Jen's, I think we go to a bakery. Yeah. yeah, great stopping for Jen's. We've we've driven for like an hour and a half, <laughs> which is like a forty five minute bike ride to get to Virginia's. We have our new fancy camera. We're snapping photos. We're so excited. And then we end up in Syracuse, and that is almost successful at the first stop. So yeah, it's late in the day. We're like, yo, we were just trying to beeline it across these states, and we we end up in a Walmart parking lot, which is great because everybody knows that you can camp or RV in a Walmart parking lot. Except an ominous no parking sign, uh, no overnight parking sign is is looming over the the parking area as we drive in. So at this point, what is eight o'clock at night or so? Yeah, at least maybe nine. Maybe nine, and then I turn into a pumpkin at nine. FYI, so the t- the the clock is already ticking for us to <laughs> to find our next stop and be able to deploy the bed and. I don't know, get all set up and go to sleep. And pumpkin is a <laughs> cute word for um, unhappy person. You turn into an unhappy person at nine o'clock <laughs> if you're do. not asleep. So so from there, okay, where we go next? We go to, uh, we fire up the app. We're like, yo, we can use the app. And so we fire an app and we, we see... Pilot truck stop. Now, for those of the folks who live in the Midwest or the West, you know of pilot truck stops because they're uh, they're they're giant truck stops where these eighteen wheelers can come rolling in and fuel up on diesel, and you can get your beef jerky, jerky and snacks. And they're big truck stops. And I, the, New England doesn't have traditional truck stops. Like it just they don't exist because we don't have the long haul truckers coming through um, New England with such. Uh, regularity as the rest of the country. So I was very surprised to see, and admittedly New York is not New England, but to see pilot truck stop in Syracuse, New York. So that was fantastic. We fired up and we drive over there. And what do we find? Uh, it was just a sketchy scene. Yeah. I think there was only one car I'm on not, cinder blocks. It was, <laughs> there you go. That's That's a good way to... I don't even know how to describe it, but there's an an image of what we came upon. It was, first of all, it was a really small, it looked like we were at a gas station. It was Correct. small. Oh, right. I, that is a funny qualifier. As much as I was just describing this truck stop scene, we were at a gas station. Yeah. And, uh, and I immediately said, I am not comfortable staying here. I don't even know where we would stay. This is not going to work. A very good message to me. I'd never... I generally don't override Laura's opinion because she's a strong-willed individual. Um, but we had recently hung out with our friends, the Robichauds, who have long owned a van. And uh, P. Money had pointed out that if either of the couple feels that the spot that they're, lo- they're ending up is one in which one is under co- uncomfortable, abort. No questions asked. And you said exactly that. that. Like, I don't feel comfortable <laughs> here. And I said, okay, let's get the heck out of here. So finally, it's like 10 o'clock at night. Where are we going to go? Sorry that I'm, I'm manhandling this story. We fire up the app again and we go out to a service center. Um, a service center or service station is along the highway. We are on I-90. I forget which highway it is, New York. And, and you know, it works out perfectly. We're on a... What amounts to a truck stop in most places, we're next to the highway. We f- we deploy the uh, the window shades and with the sound machine for Hazel, you can hardly hear the trucks going by at 90 miles an hour, eh, 82 miles an hour, and it works out well, no? Um, 
I was a little more skeptical, but we didn't really have many other options at this point, and I was tired, and I asked you, uh, where am I supposed to go to the bathroom? And I point at the grass next door. There's like a tiny patch of grass with a full parking lot in in view of said grass. <laughs> uh, we're right along the highway. It's humid and stuffy and... We deploy everything and lay down and I haven't even slept in the bed yet and I feel very claustrophobic and everything's sealed up and there's the fan, even though we have a fan, I don't know, was it on? Didn't feel like it was working and I suddenly feel like I can't breathe and I'm like, this was all a big mistake. So if everybody can picture glamping, this is not that. Um, I think overall, and I could be completely in left field here. It ended up being adequate. We 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 did not end up at the first two places, which was terrible. That evening was not perfect. In fact, it was anything but perfect, but it was okay. We woke up the next morning, made some coffee, and you're on the highway within three seconds because you're that close to the highway. Well, I kind yes, of had to no. laugh too. Like right. we made it through the night and here we are enjoying our oatmeal roadside watching the highway go by and... Yeah, it was not, I, you know, all along this trip, I'm just picturing these magnificent camping areas and immense beauty and peacefulness. And this was the antithesis of that, but we had made it through the night and it was a new day and things were, you know, we had a plan for, um, to do some more research before we got to our next stop. (laughs) Accurate, which is a... A nice segue because I feel like, you know, with this trip now, seven and a half weeks, eight weeks, it's not quite eight weeks, in the rearview mirror, one thing that I, f- I feel is really lacking is uh, really well-organized apps. We were sent a dozen different apps by two dozen different people um, in which to figure out places to camp, figure out places that are safe to park, figure out places to... Uh, basically sleep the night amid our, our crazy camping trip. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard to get good information. Whereas, you know, Google Maps is a good place to find a hotel. You type in hotels in X city and you're going to see five hotels and you're going to see the price point. And you're going to be able to make a reservation right there and then. Whereas campsites are seemingly often run by so-and-so person and they 98% of the time are not going to answer their phone. They're not going to reply to email address, uh, email inquiries. Well, and then COVID even further complicates everything. COVID certainly further complicates things. So that was one thing that I really feel is lacking in the general uh, scheme of things. Even like the best operating apps do a really hard job, don't do a great job of consolidating information in order to sleep safely and soundly at night. So on the flip side of that, and what I, what struck me as just like heartwarming and the goodness of mankind and humanity at, in a challenging time was the amount of messages we received by people we did not know on social media offering driveways, their driveway offering a backyard socially distanced barbecue if we wanted to stop by um, offering just, you know, recommendations, a 
wanting to buy us a beer or coffee. Um, gravel, gravel, just, gravel, yeah. gravel. Come ride our gravel. Come ride this gravel. Come ride this gravel loop. I mean, I just want to say if you were one of those people, thank you. Because while we didn't get to take many people up on any of those offers, it was, it made the, it made the country feel small and it made our hearts warm and it made, uh, I don't know, just made us feel it made the adventure really special and knowing that there were just people out there willing to open their doors or backyards or whatever driveways um, to strangers and also just how the bike unites people and how it's our common thread. That's something that's so cool about this, our sport. And um, I mean, shoot, we ended up staying in a driveway of someone we didn't even know because of the threat of the bicycle and you don't feel like a total stranger. Um, so that, that was really one huge highlight. That was exceptionally cool. Another cool aspect of it is that this trip, I think coincidentally and, and fortuitously linked sponsors. Mm-hmm. So fill in where I'm going to miss. The next night we end up in Chicago. So we spent the night in the... Uh, Parked in the driveway of a very dear friend at SRAM. Mm-hmm. That was outstanding. And like I said, we go from from Chicago to Madison, but that's a mere hour and change drive. So we saw our friend Katie from Saris. From there, we zip out to Spearfish, South Dakota and see and go mountain biking with friends with friend and founders of Quark. Um, and they gave us a top camping site recommendation. Oh my which, gosh. That was our first real camping oh, site. And that was, that was magnificent because... We don't need to go into such uh, putrid detail of how much it wasn't great, but that that particular day was challenging. Um, I think you were ready to pull over in Iowa, and I said, under no circumstance, with all due respect to Iowa, are we going to stop here? Knowing how good Spearfish, South Dakota is, I went and did a... Oh man, this goes mildly full circle. As we were moving from California to Vermont, um, I raced Dirty Kanza. And then the following weekend, I raced uh, a small gravel race called the uh, Gold Rush 100 in Spearfish. And that was my first time there and just freaking loved it. It's like, it is Wild West. It's it's Northern Midwest. It's just got this really cool feel and they're a magnificent race. Anyway, that was a challenging day, but somehow you soldiered through. And it what was, do you remember about that day? Well, I remember that it was worth it. It would well, and we drove through the most intense thunderstorm, rainstorm I've ever experienced in my life. And I felt... Yes, those were your emotions that day. Like we might die on the road. <laughs> um, and you were very confident in your driving. <laughs> confident in my driving and confident that going the distance was going to be worth it. And we might have gotten into it. Wicked good fight in the meantime. <laughs> um, from there, we get up to... We see our friend Rebecca in uh, Ketchum. And then we go to Renee Hare's tire sponsor up in Seattle. Um, we see our dear friend Joao of Ngamba Cycling Tours in, in Marin. Um, who else? Where else? We are zipping east and we, we talk to, although we don't stay with um, our friends at Zip in Indianapolis. We talk to, although don't stay with because of a short travel driving day. <laughs> because that um, day I did win on the driving, putting the, the kibosh on driving extra two hours. 
Yeah, we were trying to drive 17 hours one day, and we, I think we ended up driving eight, and so we missed out on seeing our friend, uh, friend Jonathan at Cannondale. Um, okay, how about how about bigger picture highlights? Mm-hmm. What are if you could nail it down, like what are your top three favorite things, locations, places, people? What are what are tremendous highlights from the trip? Number one highlight was seeing my mom with meet Hazel. Um, it yeah, I just can't even describe how much I had thought about that moment and how much she had wanted that moment and there's just nothing like a grandchild meeting her grandma and vice versa. So it was wonderful to be with my family. That was the top highlight. I think, I think I have a new appreciation for my family having had a child that I just not taking them for granted. And also with COVID, just not knowing when you'll see them next. It's, I really, really, really tried to, I think we both tried to not be distracted with other things while we were there and just um, maximize our time with them. So that was, it was hard to leave and that was a top highlight. Um, next highlight, Whitefish, Montana. I think the combination of a place we had never visited, how stunning Montana is, Glacier National Park, also stunning. Magnificent. Um, I'm not a national park person, but go there quietly and silently <laughs> so they don't bring another car into Glacier, yeah, which we that didn't was do. We rode our bikes in. That was cool. There were a lot of cars. Obviously, there is high traffic at national parks currently, but um, it was stunning nonetheless. And we had the most gracious, wonderful friends and hosts to uh, accommodate and welcome us and show us around Whitefish in uh, with just Sarah and Sam Boardman, her boyfriend. And that was also a perfect kind of setup for us because we each had riding partners and also got the chance to ride together a bit. Um, and also did some other fun non-cycling related things like going out on a pontoon boat onto the lake, Whitefish Lake. And uh, it just felt like the start of a summer vacation. It was pretty spectacular. So those are... Two That's of two. my top uh, events. <laughs> I think you would want to. You want to fill in the third. You're pointing. Well, <laughs> yeah. So we are here in coastal Maine, which punctuates the trip well, because although Vermont, where we started the trip, is not on the coast, it is within spitting distance of the coast. So when I say coast, two coast, two coast, I of course mean beginning on the east coast, ending up on the west coast, and coming back to the east coast. And we are currently at a particular location that I have spent every summer of my entire life for as little as a week or a handful of days. But when I was a young kid, it was every day for the entire summer. And this is a very, very, very special place. And so it's been uh, meaningful to get Hazel here to introduce her to this place. She is now seventh generation of my family to come to this place. Uh, Oh, that's pretty crazy. That is crazy. I mean, the sun's setting now on the, from the East Coast. The dawn here is magnificent. It's just, yeah, it's, this 
for sure is one of my top two or three highlights. And this is a place where we come to unwind, relax. It's pedestrian traffic only, no bikes. We, yeah, we spend a lot of time sitting on the porch. We're having happy hour on the porch at the moment. Um, And yeah, if there's one thing, you know, we had the best trip ever, but it's also really tiring. Like (laughs) van life is tiring. Van life with a baby is tiring. It's a constant, um, you know, every hour it's hard to, it's hard to stop because you're always, there's always something to do or that needs to be done or a refill of water or food that needs to happen or gas or feeding Hazel or it's just a destination. Like you're trying, if not, you're, if not absorbing the place that we're in, we're trying to get to the next place. Yep. There is very little downtime. Yeah. So it's been... I mean, this is... Woe is us. It ain't too bad. I will say, Ted had more ambition to get to um, the spot in Maine more than I did. But now that we're here and actually relaxing and unwinding, I'm really thankful. And it's a great end to cap off this trip to finally kind of just like sit and be still and relax and enjoy the last few bits of summer. That is code for Ted is right. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and I want to follow up on something you second, said a second ago. When you were talking about visiting Whitefish and seeing our friends there, mm-hmm. Jess and Sam, thank you very much for showing us around. You talked about how cool it was to see Whitefish. And an interesting reality of this summer in particular is we visited all sorts of really cool towns. Let's, you know, Whitefish, Spearfish, Hood River, Flagstaff, Durango, Boulder, Aspen. I mean, towns that, that are outside magazines, top 10 places to live. We called it the also the, <laughs> it was the tour to Hazel, but it was also the tour of places we'd like to, if we didn't live in Vermont, where we would potentially live. That's a long title, but yes. <laughs> so my point being, we didn't actually see the towns in which, you know, in a, in a, in a non-COVID time, places that you would explore the downtown. Right. So we might have driven through, we might have picked up um, some takeout food now and again. We might have visited many breweries for pickup um, beer to go, but it was actually... Although how much of that do you think we'd actually do in the first place? I feel like the way we see a place is by bike and is through the people we meet. Less so the downtown or the, you know. Well, sure. We're not going to go stroll through downtown all day, every day, but I feel like we would, under normal times, I feel like we would go to a local coffee shop and stay at the local brewery and or go to a local restaurant yeah, and walk around a little bit to get a more, more tangible feel of the town. Whereas, yeah, I mean, we literally didn't, we spent about four and a half minutes in each of those downtowns. We never went into Aspen, for example. We never went, I, I never went into Durango. But so, I mean, I'm, I'm echoing your point. I agree that these are really cool towns that we feel like we got a really good feel from, even though we literally didn't spend more than a handful of minutes maximum in each town. How, so like, point. how's... Outside of dousing ourselves in in hand sanitizer, how has COVID fit into this whole debacle for you? Good question. Uh, I think that 
we did our best to take extreme precaution. I mean, we have a baby, so um, it was not only top of mind for our own health, but for our child um, to do everything within our power to not put ourselves at risk. Um, and the people that we were around made similar decisions. So, um, I think the hardest part was just wanting our friends to get the chance to hold Hazel and be around her. And, um, you know, in the beginning, I think we were hyper careful and sensitive. And then along the way, I mean, the challenging thing about COVID is there's new information coming out daily and it changes so quickly. And, um, we've, you know, we, somewhere along the middle of the trip, we learned that children her age are likely not vectors for the, the virus. And I, I don't know about you, but for me that, that gave me a little bit more, uh, I guess I, I guess there was a little bit more leniency into if someone wanted to hold her, who was our close friend, um, I mean, it's hard to know and it's hard to know. I think there were, there were moments where it was, you're, it feels potentially awkward. Like, are we supposed to wear a mask here? Should we not? Do we hug this person? Do we not? We're seeing friends who we haven't seen in ages and yeah, it's, it was not easy. And there were challenging moments that said, I can't. It's hard. I mean, another top highlight was just being in community with our friends. And it's now more than ever um, something you don't take for granted to be able to be with others. And, you know, I, I whether we can hug or not, um, it just filled my cup big time. Um, this tour around the country was about a lot more than riding our bikes. It was about family. It was about friends and it was about remembering what is important in life. And, um, I'm really thankful for the opportunity. I'm thankful this is a two months that we will forever get to tell Hazel about, show her pictures of, and tell her how she met mostly all the important people in our life. And, um, you know, for as hard of a year as 2020 has been the biggest, I know everybody probably is tired of the term silver lining, but that for us, what a silver lining to be able to have the luxury to take a trip like this. Boom. Awesome. I'm, I'm thinking of the segue. Uh, I ran off in the middle of that question because I needed to go fill my cup. So it was very appropriate that you just said that has filled your cup. Um, yeah, I, throughout my life, I'm 37 years old, I think. And for my entire life, I've heard stories of my parents' van trip. They were originally van, original van lifers. And, and while they only took, they retrofitted a Chevy passenger van in the late seventies. My parents are far from hippies, but it's very cool what they did. And, and I heard stories forever of their three month road trip and they drove all over the place. They drove all around the country and they did, you know, virtually the same trip minus the children um, <laughs> or child. 
and it's you know, I think exactly to your point, I think it'll be really interesting to uh, be able to tell these stories and annoy Hazel with these stories of the trip that she took and show her the photos and show her her meeting people over over her very, very, very early childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, whereas my, you know, my parents settled down. They traveled quite a bit prior to that. Uh, and they continued to travel soon after that. Um, but, you know, my dad was an orthopedic surgeon and he started a more traditional job so he couldn't continue it. Whereas we have been asked that question a lot. Are we going to continue traveling? Are you going to sell the van? Uh, we have some other other trips that we're already scheming up because we do have that very blessed ability to continue to travel. Yeah, we are not selling a van. I loved it. <laughs> uh, are there optimizations we would make, changes we would make? Uh, nope. Yes. Oh. <laughs> Correct. Of course. Uh, I mean, having left for the trip with, you know, 36 hours of owning the van, there were definitely um, ways we think that we could optimize the setup and the build out and um, things we'd like to do in the future. Overall, if I were to throw a arbitrary number figure around it, I would say that, yeah, it was built 80% to perfection for what we needed. And because it was built by the previous owners, they weren't trying to fulfill the needs that we needed. Uh, certainly storage, I think, is the biggest thing that we want to do a little bit differently. And we don't yeah. need to nerd out on that. So here's a better, better next question. Favorite insert number here. Of items that you brought. What are your favorite three things that you that you couldn't have traveled without on the van trip? And you can't say something silly. A bike doesn't count. An iPhone doesn't count. A computer doesn't count. What are your favorite like three items? Um, first thing that comes to mind is the sound machine because <laughs> it allowed Hazel to sleep and us to sometimes root around in the van for things that we needed and keep her asleep. Um, and we all know that life is more smooth and positive when the baby gets her sleep. <laughs> and it a lot is. of people ask questions about that too. So, you know, how does like, I think, yeah, it's hard to keep a baby on a schedule and maintain her sleep amidst all this travel. And so we did it to the best of our ability, but the sound machine definitely helped. As the expression goes, happy baby, happy wife, happy life. <laughs> okay, that's a good first answer. What else you got? Uh, uh, try to do three. Oh, goodness. Um, or tap out when you don't have Well, hmm. I mean, these are all probably going to be, I feel, the things that come to mind are all baby related because they just helped our, you know, I'd say the pack and play. Oh, that was what I was going to say. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> It's not actually a pack and play, but it's a different brand. But um, Well, so quick aside to all the folks who are purely van lifers listening. We had originally purchased a very small, not even pack and play, but something that was designed for a... It's like a travel bassinet, but it was... For what? Three to six month old. Yeah. And Hazel was just on the border of being too big for it. Which is hilarious because she's not extraordinarily large in any dimension. She's 50% height length for her age and yeah she hardly fit into thing when we left so we brought it with us it's traveled 10,000 miles but it has never been used no instead we deployed the full-on like bassinet that she had been sleeping on in a home which was 
we probably could have, in fact, I know we could have found something more compact. That said, uh, I think that helped a lot. Just the bed that she was already sleeping in. She was, you know, continuing to sleep in, in the van. Um, when there were times where we were out of the van, we had opportunities to kind of like be in an Airbnb or a little ADU. Is that what it is? A uh, additional dwelling units. Yeah, ADU. ADU. Um, it was just so easy to move the pack and play elsewhere. Um, mm-hmm. And again, that just makes things more peaceful and smooth for the family. Nice. Um, oh, what are my three? Okay, let me tell you. <laughs> That was two. Oh, okay. What do you got for three? The AeroPress. Oh, yo, that was my first one. And I will say, I don't think I ever made one coffee. Correct. Your barista is also your interviewer. Because my husband is wonderful. And he, we have a routine where usually we wake up and I start feeding Hazel and my coffee gets made and delivered to me, which is very sweet. Thank you. Thank you. We have Thank a you. uh <laughs> we have a uh we have two solar panels. We'll give you a full tour of the van if you follow all our socials. We'll do that on one of these. We've been meaning to do that for approximately 8 weeks, so mm-hmm. apologies. And and a full kind of like gear list what we what we brought, what we liked. Et bingo. Cetera. So, yeah, we have a small, I forget the name of it. Um we have a small so we have the solar panel on top. We have uh, the ability to, I think, with an inverter to produce power into the house batteries that that powers things such as the um, hot pot, the not hot pot. I mean the the water heater, charge phones, charge any number of things, but in particular make hot water for our AeroPress. So AeroPress is certainly, actually I said it was my number one, it's my number two. And not to make all things about food, but my number one thing would be the camp stove. I've never owned a camp stove before. That was that was pretty big and it was a lot of fun because in particular, every time we used it, we were in an extraordinary spot. We were camping. True. We were in cool spots we ate you know pretty spartanly but just like the most fun stuff mac and cheese with tuna uh followed by like mac and cheese with tuna for a different (laughs) meal or we considered making quinoa but we made mac and cheese and tuna one night (laughs) and yeah i mean just the experience of using that stove was nothing but positive and number three uh Shoot, I I had it and now I forget it. I mean, I can think of a variety of other things. Uh, the window shades were fantastic. Ooh, yeah, those are very clutch. And those were clutch. Those I also e- like that we could just make a really quality coffee while driving. That was a new experience. Yeah, that's not the safest thing in the world to go make an AeroPress in the back of a bouncy van, but it worked out decently well. Uh, how about things you didn't think we need that was a great thing i don't know if you just caught that but i literally just palmed and caught and killed a mosquito on my hand which makes me think of the passenger door what's in the passenger door that we never used the bug spray bug spray what are three things what are any number of things that we did not need nor use besides the mini bassinet and bug spray because shoot when you live in a tiny house on four wheels you gotta pack efficiently um Gosh, I brought my road cycling shoes, which made no sense because I didn't even bring 
<laughs> my bike with road pedals. I'm not really sure why I packed. I packed two pairs of road juice oh. um, without really thinking. Nailed it. Thank you. That was my number three good thing and number one bad thing. We brought four bikes and we brought six sets of wheels. No. Because, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> because we each had a full suspension mountain bike. We each had uh, a Cannondale Super X cyclocross gravel bike. And on the Cannondale cyclocross gravel bike, you can put either knobby tires or slick tires. Slick tires made it our road bike. Uh, knobby tires made it our uh, gnarly gravel bike. It was both a, a bane and a burden. Boon and a bane. <laughs> uh, the storage became tight when you bring so many so many sets of wheels. Um, it was awesome and I wouldn't have changed anything outside of somehow figuring out a better storage technique. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, I, like you're talking to the chief mechanic. So I got the bike out again, 97% of the time. Yes. Um, thank you for that. But yeah, it was both awesome and a big challenge to have so many wheels, much like your, your spare road shoes, which we should have sold a long time ago. What, uh, you got two more. What, what are your other things that you wish you did not bring? Mm, that's a tough one because I'm a, over packer i'd rather just have it than not have it uh do you suppose there's anything that you never used besides your road shoes trying to think about that um i certainly probably brought more cycling clothing than i needed you know because i didn't know if we'd potentially like want to go summit mount evans and need our winter garb just to descend so i brought it all um i think we experienced two bouts of precipitation, both of which behind the safe seating of a windshield in a car. I got rained on. I got poured on one day, but I had my rain jacket with me while riding. So Flagstaff. I was Flagstaff, yeah. Fair, fair. Um, but by and large, we had amazing weather, is my point. Yeah. We, we largely exclusively rode on the west, in the west where the air is extraordinarily arid. Uh, dry, high, warm. We experienced because we left freaking two months ago. We had uh, midsummer. What do you call those things when it's really Monsoons. hot? Monsoons. No, when it's just really hot. Oh, peak heat, awful heat, <laughs> heat waves. There's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> I mean, it's just I, I am kidding. I mean, for the most part, um, I think our route and. If you are aware of what is happening in the West right now, we couldn't have timed everything better. We did get caught in, I mean, there were wildfires in every direction while we were in the San Francisco area. Um, but now, right currently, uh, the West is ablaze. Uh, it's also extreme heat and it, it's, I guess it's just a good thing we got out. Um, and... It's also just pretty unfortunate um, to see what is happening out there. And, you know, from my family in Washington to our friends in Oregon to our friends in the Bay Area, everyone is suffering right now with a whole lot of smoke. So thinking of everyone affected by the fires and um, yeah, it's just, it's a bummer. A lot of beautiful places on fire right now. Accurate. Uh, this would be way overdue. 
by the time this is published. But uh, the other irony is as soon as we left Boulder, which was a smoldering, smoky wreckage, when we left, there was a snowstorm. That's crazy. It's insane. It went from 96 degrees that weekend to a high of 34 and 5 to 8 inches of snow. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. <laughs> and meanwhile... Meanwhile, Teddy continues to use all of this phenomenon to promote why New England is New England's amazing. We are listening to the <laughs> waves lap against the beach. The most challenging thing about this very moment is that the sun is in Laura's eyes and she's having to tilt her head so her, the brim of her hat combats the sun. There is zero humidity. I mean, you know, I recognize the ridiculousness of the situation because New England in the summer is as humid as, as Florida or so it seems. It, I'm I'm extraordinarily happy that we've made it here now. And this is the picture that I had painted when you and I first met in California. And I was immediately telling you how amazing New England was. And I think it's moments like this that stick in your mind as opposed to the the sticky, humid mosquitoes the size of sparrows. Well... And one thing we we didn't circle back to was the fact that we Airbnb'd our house. All right. And I'm just thinking about <laughs> we listed our house and within 24 hours it was booked for six weeks um, with just, I mean, the demand is crazy right now. And every all the inquiries were people from the cities looking to get out of the city and, um, you know, get away from COVID risk. Uh, or with the ability now to work remotely, looking to find a more peaceful location. Um, so, Vermont. I'm excited to get home. We are in Maine. We have not made it back to Vermont. I'm very excited to get home. I miss our house. <laughs> Tomorrow we're going to hit the road. We've had a great stay with my brother here in Maine. We uh, are going to zip down and see my parents who have not seen us nor Hazel for two months. So they've literally missed at this point 33% and previously 50% of her life. And then we're going to get back home for, to Vermont and see some very dear friends and our home and our backyard, which which we have missed. Um and then we're going to plan our next van trip, right? Yeah. <laughs> the so, desert in winter? The desert in winter. That's what I'm buying for. Well, and the country is large and the van is sweet and the open road awaits. So <laughs> what else you got? Anything else in your mind? Um, Not really, other than I think... Uh, we had a lot of questions submitted just to the, you know, the details of van life. Like, how do you do laundry? How... You don't. <laughs> or you have friends who help you do your laundry. Oh, right, right, right. <laughs> um, and the We Are No Experts, um, I am putting together a, a couple posts on just like the best, my best answers to the questions and what we did learn along the way. So... Look look for that on uh, ProKit, and we'll have that up soon, and our van tour. Far out. Well, it's 6 p.m., and our sweet daughter Hazel has not 
shrieked in a while, so it's probably a good time to go check on her before her final rest for the evening. Dinner time. It's happy hour. Thanks for thanks for being part of this sweet tour. Tour to Hazel. Yeah, thanks for being up for the adventure. Hey there, folks. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you, Laura, for taking the time and uh, donating your summer to road tripping with me for two months. If you, fair listener, want to learn more details about our trip, Laura has curated a, a central list of what we packed, a van tour video, all sorts of super fun stuff. You'll find that in the link below in our show notes. And I'd be a fool if I didn't mention the King Challenge once more. Folks, I'm currently at $8,500 as I say these words. That's a huge sum of money for the Crumble Center, but I fear we are not going to meet the $125,000 goal that we have set in this 10th anniversary of the ride. So let's get some support going. Let's get me riding more than this dainty 85-mile ride. Again, for every $100 that I personally raise, I'm going to ride one more mile. Every donation counts, no matter the amount. Just head to the link below in the show notes and help shuttle me along in this very special 10th anniversary King Challenge ride. That's all for now. Ladies and gentlemen, I wish you a wonderful day. Until next time, please enjoy the ride.